Welcome back to the Urology Care Podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Ben Ristow, a urologist with Yukon Health in Farmington, Connecticut. Welcome, Dr. Ristow. How are you doing? Doing great, Casey. Thanks so much for having me on. So today, we're going to be talking about transperineal prostate biopsies. Can you just begin today's program by, first of all, establishing for us, what is a biopsy? A biopsy, in general terms, is just getting some tissue in order to help make a diagnosis. With regard to prostate cancer, um, biopsies are performed in a number of settings. The most common of these is when a patient has an elevated PSA level. That's a blood test that's used as a screening test for prostate cancer. So why would a patient need a prostate biopsy? If there is a suspicion for prostate cancer, for example, someone has an elevated PSA blood test, a biopsy is indicated to rule in or out the possibility of having a cancer. Uh, In other settings, when someone has already had a low-risk prostate cancer diagnosed and they're being monitored with something called active surveillance, um, biopsies are often done in order to monitor progression closely so that we can rule out any progression of disease. Can you just take us through what happens during a prostate biopsy? So traditionally, a prostate biopsy involves having a ultrasound probe inserted into the rectum. Um, I tell patients that it kind of just feels like a large bowel movement. Um, It's uncomfortable, but not inordinately painful. The area around the prostate gland is numbed up um, using an anesthetic medication. Uh, And then samples of the prostate, traditionally anywhere between 10 and 12 biopsies are taken from different locations within the prostate. That tissue then gets sent off to a pathologist who reviews it under the microscope to make the determination as to whether or not someone has prostate cancer. So that would be a traditional prostate biopsy. Can you tell us now about a transperineal prostate biopsy and what the difference between those two are? Absolutely. A traditional biopsy um, has been done through the rectum, basically through the rectal wall. And the reason is that the prostate is in very close proximity to the rectum. um, And the rectum, generally speaking, is not a very sensitive place. So doing the biopsies through that location are not um, typically painful. Um, One of the major problems with doing biopsies through the rectum is that it's not a sterile environment. And so we know that the incidence of infection after a prostate biopsy is anywhere between 1% and 7%, depending on which data you look at. Um, The risk of a severe infection called sepsis uh, that requires hospitalization can be up to 3%. Uh, And so one of the reasons that we're starting to move towards a transperineal prostate biopsy is that the risk of infection is almost negligible. Um, In many reports, there is zero risk of infection. The difference in a transperineal prostate biopsy is that it's actually done through the skin between the scrotum and the anus, which is called the perineum. We are actually able to sterilize that skin um, so that when the biopsy device traverses that tissue, it's not going through tissue and picking up bacteria along the way. What are some reasons why you might want to stick with the traditional biopsy? Um, I don't think there are any real indications to stick with the traditional biopsy. Um, Some people um, 
would argue that it's a new technique that needs to be learned, and that, and that is true. Um, traditionally, um, these transperineal biopsies required some expensive equipment and capital purchases um, that not all folks had access to, and oftentimes they're done under anesthesia in the operating room, um, which is not a very cost-effective way to do a biopsy. Um, but now um, many centers are doing these biopsies under local anesthesia in the office. Um, and so it's my personal belief that the move towards um, transperineal biopsies uh, should be undertaken if only to reduce the risk of infection. Now, I want to ask about how the decision is made to go for a transperineal prostate biopsy. Is this a shared decision-making process? There are important factors to consider when you want to do any kind of a biopsy. And so the decision to perform the biopsy, I would say, is probably more of the shared decision-making portion. Um, The goal now is to identify clinically significant cancers and and really not identify uh, those lower-grade cancers that probably are not going to impact a man in his lifetime. And so the decision about whether or not to pursue an MRI prior to biopsy or whether to do a repeat PSA level to ensure that indeed the PSA is elevated um, are all part of the decision process in determining who needs a biopsy. Um, I would say that the technique of biopsy, whether it's done transrectally or transperineally, um, is uh, is really up to the comfort level of the urologist who does the procedure. Um, I would say that when I explain the differences and the nuances between the transrectal and the transperineal approach, most of my patients are opting for transperineal. Um, and the reason there is essentially that the risk of infection is considerably lower. Um, we actually are not using antibiotic prophylaxis um, when we're doing the procedure and haven't noticed any uptick in infections. Um, so that is very attractive to people. Why is early detection so important when it comes to a disease like prostate cancer? Well, prostate cancer is the most common cancer in American men. The vast majority of these prostate cancers are low risk. So it's important to have an understanding of the natural history uh, of prostate cancer when you're getting involved in any discussions about um, whether or not to treat these things. Um, But there are certain risk groups um, that we would want to identify tumors in earlier. Um, those would be African-American or Caribbean-American men, um, men with a family history of prostate cancer, men with certain um, genetic mutations, such as the BRCA2 mutation that's typically thought of in breast cancer. Um, all of these things put men at increased risk of finding an aggressive prostate cancer, um, and so we would want to detect these tumors earlier uh, in order to treat them if necessary. Are there any other recent advances in prostate cancer screening that you want to mention on today's podcast? There hasn't been a ton um, of new ways to diagnose prostate cancer. Um, Some people are using um, something called a 4K score um, that is also a blood test that that may help risk stratify um, men. Um, I've found that a total PSA level and perhaps a 
free PSA level and calculating the percent free uh, might help uh, in uh, determining who would need to move forward with a biopsy and, and who maybe we can watch their PSA over time. Uh, the other thing that is really coming down the pike is prostate MRI. Um, if you're a man in the UK or in Australia, you probably would get an MRI before even thinking about getting a biopsy. Um, there's good data to support doing that. I would say that in the United States, um, MRI tends to be expensive and insurance companies haven't quite caught up with the uh, most recent data in terms of approving MRI uh, routinely in the biopsy-naive patient. Um, but I think that's what you will see coming down the pike as we move forward in the future is that more people will be getting MRIs prior to their biopsies. Now, we mentioned earlier in this podcast the shared decision-making process when it comes to um, deciding on whether or not there will be a biopsy, I think you were discussing. Do you want to talk any more about the shared decision-making and what that whole movement is about and what that's about, if there's anything more you want to say with with that? Sure. I would say historically, uh, physicians have been um, a bit paternalistic in how care was prescribed. Um, now, um, there is much greater movement in trying to better understand patient goals of care um, and really take that into consideration uh, when making decisions. And so now, many of the consultations and patients that I see, I'm more providing an educator role in terms of what the risks are. Um, and then the actions that, that a patient would take really depend on what their risk tolerance is. You know, I kind of I liken it to, are, are you a, a stock picker uh, or do you like a mutual fund? Like where is your uh, risk tolerance going to, going to lie? Um, and that's how a lot of decisions are made. Um, of course, there are still patients that, you know, say, Doc, what would you do? And in that case, I give them my opinion. But for most people, I try to start out with just providing information um, and letting them guide, you know, based on the information, what they would want to do moving forward. Yeah, I like that metaphor there with the the stock market. That analogy is very good. So do you have any other final thoughts before we end the interview today, Dr. Risto? I would just say that I think transperineal prostate biopsy is going to become more and more common, um, if only to reduce the risk of infection and the risk of generating resistant bacteria. The ability to p potentially not even use antibiotic coverage uh, as prophylaxis um, is quite attractive because we're not creating and engendering more resistance among bacteria. Um, so I think you'll start to see this approach uh, gain a lot more traction. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Benjamin Ristow out of UConn Health. He is a urologist with the University of Connecticut Health System in Farmington, Connecticut. Thank you, Dr. Ristow. Casey, thanks so much for having me. This podcast has been brought to you by the Urology Care Foundation, the official foundation of the American Urological Association. For more information on today's topic and for all things urology health, visit urologyhealth.org. That's urologyhealth.org.